Welcome to another Collective Conversation. I am your host, Mike Brewer, and today I welcome Henson Orser, CEO and co-founder at Two Dots. And Two Dots helps multifamily managers save millions, I like that, millions of dollars preventing leasing fraud while fostering operational excellence through automation and AI, which is something that's very near and dear to my heart as of late. So Henson, welcome to the show. Hey, Mike. Thanks for having me. It's good to be here. Absolutely. So let's start by, I want to give you an opportunity to unpack what Two Dots does, especially as it relates to AI, because I I just I know you've commented recently on some of our LinkedIn posts, and I appreciate that. I'm early inning, so I'll pretend like I know what I'm talking about, but I really don't. Full oh, disclosure. Yeah. No, no, no. I mean, um, I think like the general public and everyone is kind of in the early innings of understanding that AI is really going to change every industry, including multifamily. It's one of the reasons why I started this company. But to talk, you know, specifically about what Two Dots does and how we use AI to help multifamily operators and property managers is we take the process of site staff manually looking at pay stubs, bank statements, photo IDs as part of a normal screening process. And we use AI to fully automate that. So instead the site staff just get approvals and denials and they don't have to do any of that work. So, yeah, and there's two big pieces of, you know, value kind of baked into that one sentence description where one really big piece of value is we have this very advanced um, AI system that is able to detect when a pay stub or a bank statement is real or when a pay stub or a bank statement or even a tax transcript or benefit letter is fake. And it does so instantaneously. So typically we not only automate this process, but we're going to lower property managers evictions by about 50% by catching people who are faking these documents in a way that can't be caught um, with the naked eye of site staff. And then the other big piece of value is most site staff spend 20 or 30% of their time doing this like paperwork associated with applications. And rather than having them do that paperwork, our software just delivers them an approval or a denial. So they're no longer looking at these documents. They're no longer manually calculating somebody's gross income. They're no longer trying to figure out if a social security card is real. Instead, uh, they log in in the morning to their property management software, they've given somebody a tour, that person applies, and then they see an approval from two dots. And those are the kind of the two big pieces of value we bring to the space. It is. And, and so I'm having been an operator for, I guess, generally my entire career. I on the front side of this transaction, there's sort of ID verification, meaning I am who my picture says I am on my my license. Is this inclusive of that? Or is it when you get past that stage, you're verifying bank statements, et cetera, et cetera? Yeah, so it is inclusive of that. And you know, the um, ID verification technology is something that came to the multifamily space a couple of years ago with Check One ID mm-hmm. that's now owned by MRI which also includes some of the biometrics technology where, um, and we do all of this, and there's a couple other vendors that do it, um, and it's where you scan somebody's photo ID and 
you make sure that it matches the template from the year of issuance for that license. You make sure the information in the barcode matches the information on the front. We'll do a 3D selfie of somebody's face and make sure that matches the picture on the photo ID. So not only, hey, the photo ID is real, but also the person um, in possession of that photo ID is the person on the ID. And then we combine that data, which is where our solution is a little bit more unique with making sure the sort of the pay stubs and the bank statements and the tax transcripts are real. Um, so part of where the AI component comes in is we have you know, seen a million Bank of America bank statements. And therefore, when somebody submits one, that's fake in a way that you can't catch with the naked eye. The computer can see that the pixels are different because it's been trained on so many Bank of America bank statements. So like that is one part of the AI. But the other part is uh, of the AI is looking at like the ID information in addition to the bank statement and paste of information holistically and understanding that, say, for a self-employed person, the requirement at a particular property is the gross income on their 2021 taxes needs to be above 3x and they have to have a certain liquid balance in their bank account. And our system is going to not only make sure that the ID is real, not only make sure that the bank statement is real, not only make sure that the tax transcript is real, but it's going to look at all those data points together and make sure they match. Like, is the person's name on the ID the name that's on the tax transcript? Is do all of the transactions in the bank statement add up so that the ending balance and the starting balance are the same? These sorts of like logical checks that like a human being would do when like looking at an application holistically, which we are able to automate. Is there, so I think naturally people think about those, not, not really a skeptics, really the wrong word, but in, in terms of an AI uh, keeping bias out of the decision-making process, is that, I have to imagine you thought about that when you were creating this platform. It, is that something that. <laughs> yeah, a hundred percent, you know, um, so my, uh, co-founder and CTO, um, was working, um, in machine learning at Google search before he left to found this company with me. And that was always a frequent topic of conversation when they're building ad targeting models based on demographics, because they will at Google train a model based on all of this personalized data. And then like what they'll find is that they've like actually accidentally trained the model, like to detect somebody's race. Right. Right. Um, now in our case, we don't really have an issue with our models introducing any sort of fair housing bias because what our models, um, do are like logical checks that a human being would do to make sure that somebody is who they say they are and they make the amount of money they claim to make and do so in a way that like an intelligent human being would augmented by the superpowers of technology and AI. And there's nothing, you know, racist or biased about making sure that somebody meets 
uh, three times gross income to rent requirement or made a certain amount of money in taxes the previous year if they're self-employed or that they are who they say they are, automating those processes um, and using AI just to sort of make sure, you know, the facts are what the person claims on their application is something that, you know, doesn't even touch that bias space because that is mostly a problem for folks that are building models that are a bit of a, a black box, um, mm -hmm. where ours is not. Gotcha. Gotcha. And so I have to imagine two, two things that came to mind prior to that question, the time savings and the dollars. And I think you made brief mention of the, the dollars saved as it relates to preventing evictions, but can you back up with your, or just tell us a little bit of data as it relates to the time savings for an onsite team member that's making application of your technology and also the, the dollar savings, some, maybe some real case study stuff that you've. Yeah, a hundred percent. So um, I'll talk about, um, and again, you know, th this, this varies, of course, if you have a centralized leasing team, if you're doing all of this stuff on site, but we have a client who runs 14,000 units primarily in Southern California, um, Moss and Company, and they were um, having site teams on average per applicant spend two hours looking at documents, emailing applicants for documents that were missing when they submitted their application, trying to figure out whether documents were real or fake. So if you take, you know, 14,000 units and just to make it a, a round number, they have a 50% you know, retention rate, 50% renewal rate, receiving two applicants for every single renewal, they have 14,000 applicants they're evaluating in a year. The actual number is a little higher. Uh, you know, that's 14,000 times two hours. Uh, you're talking about, you know, 28,000 uh, labor hours that, you know, site staff are spending today at most property managers on this sort of paperwork around applications. And to be able to take that off their plates so that they can focus on giving people good tours, answering questions when people call about community, taking care of maintenance issues that are on site, um, helps you retain good staff, um, helps, I mean, the 28,000 labor hours also like times, you know, 12, 14, 15 bucks an hour is right. a very big number. <laughs> too, right? Um, so you can run these communities with fewer people and that's the automation part savings. And then, you know, fraud rates vary across the country, but, you know, just to talk kind of cold, hard numbers with Moss client we've been live with for a year. They were evicting about 2% of their portfolio. And um, each of those evictions were costing them north of $10,000. Now, in California, it takes a long time to evict somebody. So there's a lot of lost rent in there. It can be different in every state. But by you know, reducing their evictions by 50%, and they're evicting you know, 2% of their 14,000 units a year, that has been well over a million dollars in savings and prevented evictions alone. So, you know, you take those labor costs plus the prevented evictions and combine those two things and we're producing a lot of value for folks. 
Oh yeah. You put a cap rate to that number and it's a pretty big number. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, exactly. So, and, so I have to talk about the, probably the, well, I'm going to label it as the biggest curse word in, in multifamily and probably in technology in general. And that is the I word, the integration word. So I, I have to believe in my heart of hearts, you're fully, you can and have, or put the, the integrations in place for the, the major players in the, in the marketplace, probably management systems that is. Yeah. So, you know, we are um, integrated with Yardi. We're doing the other big ones shortly. Um, and we're official integration partners with Yardi on, on the website and all that jazz. The one, you know, kind of cool, unique thing we've, we've done um, because I think a lot of people enter the space and say, you know, hire integrated and almost universally the property manager operator is like, disappointed with whatever that integration actually is we don't just do a regular integration where we like pull data out of yardy and then site staffers have to log into some other system and it's not a real integration and uh, they have another tab open and you have to check whether they're checking the other tab we have this great trick where we actually I shouldn't even call it a trick. We sort of consider it an advancement where we um, overlay our reports onto your property management software using a uh, browser extension. So functionally, how this would work, like Mike, let's just say you were a, a site staffer and you were, you know, inside of, you know, your Yardi dashboard or your Entrada leasing dashboard, you actually see our results alongside the screening results. You don't have to leave the property management software in order to see the results. Now you can you know, click a link and go see more details somewhere else in a minority of cases if, if you'd like to. And there's an admin view, which you know will give you all the you know, statistics about your leasing operations overall if you're a senior exec. Um, but for the day-to-day -day user experience, we've actually been able to integrate so deeply that the folks don't actually have to leave the Yardies of the world to use two dots. And we, as far as I know, that is um, unique among sort of new prop tech vendors. I talk to a lot of individuals like yourself and I, that's the first time I've ever heard that remark. So <laughs> <laughs> I would say, I'd say you're probably right about that. I, <clears throat> I'm going back to one of your lead remarks. It, it, if I heard it correctly, it, it is instantaneous. So the second I, I bake this data into Tiardi. I'm at, my imagination tells me the the sort of entry point is I put my information into my CRM. The CRM then I guess in in the way in the integration world somehow puts that into your system. And because I can see that real time, I see a, a red light, green light, yellow light, or something show up. Yeah, that's just, yeah, dude, you basically got it, it exactly right. Where um, somebody goes out and fills out whatever online application you're currently using, which is you know the name, the phone number, the date of birth, social security number, which puts it into your CRM. We're synced up with that and get all of that information. And typically, somebody will already have given us the pay stubs and the bank statements through that online application you're already using. And we're able to scan those and give the green light, yellow light, red light. Now, the thing that can slow us down sometimes is, you know, for us to do the biometrics where we make sure someone's mm -hmm. face matches 
um, their photo ID. We do text and email them right after they're done filling out their application. Sometimes people are slow to respond to that. The other thing that will sometimes result in a yellow light is somebody might fill out an application and they might not include all of the you know, documents required. It actually happens somewhat frequently. And this is another place yeah, we, where the AI comes in where, and people in multifamily are familiar with this type of technology where we not only you know, can detect if the documents are real or if they're fake, we also know what type of documents they are and what data is on them. So what we can do is have an automated system similar to like an AI leasing agent text and email the applicants and get the missing information if it's not in the CRM when they submit it. So let's just say you applied with a pay stub that was too old. Um, we're going to know that. And then we're going to text you and say, hey, Mike, like we're working with Radco and your leasing agent, Lisa, for unit 27 at, you know, the Pier Round Gardens. And it looks like your pay stub is two months old. And, you know, we're going to need two of your most recent pay stubs. You know, please click here to submit. And that is another thing, which is like this you know, sounds small, but it is like this huge time saver for site staff, as opposed to all that being done, like untracked in email. Listen, we, so probably akin to Moose, probably management companies across the country. We, we have a weekly business meeting, a business review, right? Of all the properties. And I can tell you that that particular point that you just made is one of the chief things that we complain about every week. Now we, we have front side technology, right? The ID verification, the document verification, and di different vendor, full disclosure than, than uh, two dots, two different vendors. <laughs> but it, it is that point about the consumer not doing their part, right? And our team today, our team spends real time, real human hours texting and calling and trying to get that information out of people, right? Yeah. And the, the, the idea that you have the AI built in that's doing that follow-up on behalf of the human, right? That, that's huge. We don't have that today, I can tell you. Yeah, man. So like, I mean, we, we sort of bake that into that, you know, like two hour per applicant thing I was talking about, um, just to, you know, keep it simple on the high level numbers for the value creation. That's a big part of it. I mean, you already made the point for us. It comes up weekly in your business meetings that site staff are spending an inordinate amount of time emailing applicants who submit an application just asking for the basics um, and to have a system that um, is able to like instantaneously read the date on a pay stub read the date on a bank statement you know read the date on a tax transcript know what your leasing requirements are and start texting and emailing the applicants to gather that information automatically someone who applies in the middle of the night you know we're going to send them that text at two in the morning like Hey, it looks like your bank statement's too old. Like, you need to submit the you know this information in order to be approved for this apartment. It makes a big difference for site staff. It it's yeah, it that's a huge point. I I mean, look, I I love our team members, and we're a very team member first focused organization. And but at the end of the day, they are humans, right? And and sometimes the humans are caught in service of other people, right? So even if they had the best intentions of the world to follow up, right. With great consistency, with great cadence, 
other things happen in the business office. And so they don't get to it, right? And so part of our frustration is that applicants actually fall out of the process because hey, it was it was taking too long, even though it's my fault, right? But I got documents submitted at the property across the street and they were able to get me through. So, but, but if you had the AI doing it for you, to your point about any time of the day or night, you're not going to miss that cadence or frequency necessary to get those documents, right? Yeah, exactly. So, you know, we have the like very clear numbers on, okay, like this is the amount of time we're saving your onsite staff headache. And here's the amount of money we're going to save you and prevent the evictions with the anti-fraud technology. And again, we're, we're a year into sort of being live with large institutional players. But what we expect to see is as we um, make this entire part of the process much more efficient, just, you know, the average property manager usually takes three or five days to get an answer back to someone, you know, we can get that down to same day for qualified applicants. That's going to have an effect on occupancy rates beyond, you know, just preventive evictions and beyond just automation of on-site staff work. So, so I, have a, I have a question that just popped into my mind randomly. And if you're not comfortable answering this, I completely understand why, or maybe not. Who knows? When I ask the question, you, you'd make a judgment. <laughs> so, it, because you're collecting a lot of data on individuals, my imagination tells me that you can you can use that data to sort of archive or or sort of curate people who are bad actors out in the marketplace, right? And repeat offenders, right? So if I can't get it done here, I'm going to take a chance on a property across the street that doesn't have two dots, and maybe I can get, but they don't know that one way or the other. They don't even know what two, two, two dots is. But but if you were to could you work with, I know this is a very extreme statement, but to my, to my simple mind, to make an example out of a handful of people like who, who do this, they're literally crime rings, right? That do this kind of stuff, getting into apartment communities, not paying rent, settling down, squatting. Is there a, a scenario where your, a company like yours works with local authorities to turn over fraudulent people who are trying to, you know, commit fraud? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, just just to be entirely honest with you, Mike, uh, we have never thought about going to the police and, you know, trying to have legal action taken against these folks. I will say from a product perspective, since we do have a source of truth on somebody's identity and um, we work incredibly hard to make sure that we don't produce any false positives. Sure. An incredibly low false positive rate and a dispute me mechanism, which is rarely used in the event that we do get things wrong, which is rare. And, but where I'm going with this is we do keep a, a list of the people who are the continuous bad actors. Mm -hmm. And we have them, you know, up, up apply for, you know, apartment community, another city, another property manager. Um, and like, we don't even need to um, re-examine them um, because these people do surf city to city. Uh, sure. And um, yeah, it's, uh, and it, that network effect builds over time, um, especially in places where we already have uh, a high concentration. Um yeah, I, and this, you circle back to your original question. I just like I, I, we feel that our technology, like there's basically been this arms race that 
sure. started with the advent of the internet where it became easy to Google, like make a fake pay stub. And like that used to be a relatively complicated thing. Right. And, you know, I think as a, as an operator, I, I hear your, you know, 15 or 20 years of frustration, like looking for right. a solution in like, People need to understand that there are consequences for, you know, lying and committing financial fraud. I will say that I don't know about whether, you know, making an example of people is the right solution, but we do feel that we're at the end of the arms race where our technology is, you know, I, I don't want to say impossible because, you know, some mastermind genius, one person will figure it out at some point, I guess, but like, Sure. 99.9% of people are not getting through what we've built and like will not do so in the future. Um, the, the arms race I think is, is over and there is no sort of like next step for the fraudsters in the arena of fake documents when applying for rentals. Got so. it. I, I appreciate that answer. Yeah. And I look, I don't, I never, well, I shouldn't say never. I don't like the extreme nature of, of something to, to get a behavior change, but yes, you hear my 15 to 20 years. Of it. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it, it's frustrating on every level and it, and it, uh, it's really bad here in Atlanta and it, and it has been for some bit of time. Right. And so, uh, we've definitely been impacted by it. Our, our competitors who we, many of, of which are our friends, you know, are impacted by it. And we just, we just wish, wish there was something out there. And I'm, I'm very happy to hear you feel like we're at the end of that arms race. <laughs> yeah, that'd be great. Yeah. I I I want to take a maybe a hard left turn and talk about, if you don't mind, about GPT three and the next generation GPT four, which I think is in at least I've heard it's going to be, you know, a thousand x more powerful or however you might describe that than GPT three. I'm I'm early innings here, so I'm very novice and. And, uh, but I'm interested in somebody, it sounds like you have played with it a lot and I just like you to sort of maybe just talk off the cuff of what you think that will do to industry at large or, or even multifamily specifically, if you don't mind. <laughs> Absolutely. So for one, for anybody listening who hasn't heard about chat GPT or has heard about it and hasn't played around with it. There is a, a company called OpenAI that um, released this thing called ChatGPT, which is something called a large language model. And you don't even need to know what that means, but basically it, it's a text box on the internet for free where you can type prompts into it and it'll, it'll talk with you. Um, and if you Google ChatGPT, you can play with it. So for anybody unfamiliar out there, I would recommend you go and you Google chat GPT and you play around with it um, because it's the first piece of AI that is really easy for, you know, a regular consumer or a regular business person to like get their hands on and like understand and start to play with. So that's kind of the, the, the basic background. And then in terms of, you know, how it's going to affect multifamily and industry in general, Gosh, you know, a lot of what people do during the day in an office is generate 
like messages to people via text or generate, you know, images or generate um, ad copy. And what this type of AI does is it allows all of that sort of stuff that we think of as like basic human creativity to be automated based on the training of the hive mind of the internet and like, you know, get down to like nuts and bolts and like how it's going to affect multifamily. Like, you know, people probably have somebody in their organization who does write-ups on the units who, if you don't, not doing this in-house, you have an agency that, you know, designs the marketing websites and you, you know, have somebody who responds to emails for prospects who are asking about specific questions of the units and all of that stuff within the next year or two is going to be completely automated from the, you know, somebody emailing you to ask about the like square footage of the studio or unit one C like not, not, not only is that going to be like automated, but it's going to be automated like in a way that like is better than a human being responding where they're not only going to respond with the right information, but like, it's going to be like beautiful sounding, nice text and include additional information and be as if like a really good salesperson was on the other side. Yeah. Um, you know, it's like the, this, this AI can write essays. It can have conversations. It can write short plays. These things that we think of as human creative tasks, it is able to do just below the level of us now. And like very soon to be able to do above the level of most of us. And like, if you just think about it for a moment, it's, you know, hard to put a, a number on it, but it's something in the mid double digit percentage tasks in the workplace that are these sorts of tasks that can be automated. And there are, you know, emails that can be pre-written that are, you know, ad copy that the AI can do the a pre, you know, the rough draft of before the senior person just edits it. I mean, Mike, you emailed me before we started this podcast and, uh, you know, Gmail pre-filled for me when you sent me the link, like, sounds great, really looking forward to it. All I had to do was hit the enter button. Um, and <laughs> I, that times 10 is coming within the next 12 months. And it's sort of already here and you can play with it if you Google chat GPT. It's uh, just keying off of one thing that you said, the, the sort of the conversation back and forth between a prospect or a current resident. Is it is it fear or too much of a stretch to think that, so today I have to go out and buy a bot from somebody, right? There are many vendors who would give you a bot to put on your website. Yep. But in my head, you, you can actually create that thing yourself, right? You can, you can give it the data out of your system and actually create the chat bot yourself or the interaction the G, using the GPT. Is that yeah, so, so um, not, not not to get like, you know, too nerdy, um, but like basically in 2018, um, Google invented a new form of machine learning model, which is open source that our company uses, that OpenAI uses called um, transformer models. 
And in the past, to train a transformer model was just a very expensive process. So like when this was first released in open source 2018, throughout 2019, 2020, 2021, you had to have the resources of a big corporation to feed the transformer model enough data for it to sound intelligent or be good at whatever task you had given it. Because machine learning, it's this jargony term that sounds really complex, but like it can be understood as very simply like, I don't know if anybody here has watched that show, Silicon Valley, where they you know train an app to identify a hot dog or not hot dog. Yeah. Um, like, the large language models like ChatGPT are, you know, just fed, you know, billions of web pages and conversation from the internet and like are able to learn how people talk with each other. So to get back to your question specifically, what, what has happened is the cost of training these models because compute power has become so much cheaper due to Moore's law and because all of us in our businesses just have so much more data and are tracking so much stuff like you think about how much data is just in your CRM about prospect communication, if it's just keeping track of everybody's emails and phone calls versus five or 10 years ago, it's becoming feasible for non-large corporate institutions to be able to train these models and customize and tune them for their own business purposes. And, and we're not there today where like, you know, Radco could have you know, download the open source app and, you know, run the CRM data through it. And like, it would be like the Radco special bot that like didn't cost anything. Yeah. But that is the place we will be in a couple years where the compute power will be cheap. The data will be just like prolific. And there are going to be companies like OpenAI that allow folks like, ourselves or you to, you know, custom train models versus having to go like pay a corporation that like um, spent a bunch of money to like train this, you know, special lease leasing agent bot. That, that makes sense to me. It, it, um, is, there, is there a scenario in between now and then where if you, if you were to use like Zapier for, for example, I think that's how you pronounce that. So Zapier has, you know, all these apps and it, it, in my head, it basically creates the conduit between OpenAI and whatever outcome you're trying to produce. So if you, you sort of bolt that together today, you could, could sort of have a, a rough version of that <laughs> for yeah. not a lot of cost, right? But in the future, it sounds like the, the Zapiers of the world, is all, it's all just going to be baked into the same workflow. Yeah. So like today, you can go and Google, you know, chat GPT and, and you can interact with it on a web page, which is how we all know it. But right. OpenAI, the company behind it, also has an API that lots of companies are being built on top of right now. And what you know Zapier, you know, basically builds itself as is the universal API, which you know API is just the jargon term for how one computer program talks to another computer program. Like how two dots would talk to your Yardi CRM and how two dots would exchange data over the internet. That's through an API. OpenAI already has one of those and there are lots of companies being built on top of it. And then eventually there will be 
Zapier-like companies that enable one to do no-code applications with API-like functionality in the machine learning space. And th those types of companies are getting built now. That is so fascinating to me. <laughs> just, uh, it's just, so maybe one more sort of chat GPT <laughs> question. And th this is not my novel question. I was listening to Peter Diamandis interview. It's not open AI, but another platform like that. They have a couple iterations of this technology. One being narrative, the other being images, the other being moving images. And one of the one of the speculations or forecasts that, that that the gentleman made was, at some point, you you sort of these things come together, right? And so my imagination when I was listening to this coming together of these particular technologies, or, or I guess same technology, just different use cases, is if I have a, I have a one bedroom apartment available in midtown Atlanta on whatever day, somebody interacts with me, wants some information about that. I could, I could literally create a cinematic type experience for my one bedroom apartment in midtown that includes not only the, the unit and the floor plan and bathroom, bedroom, kitchen, but, but people actually interacting in cinematic ways in it. And then outside of that environment, out into the community. Yeah, yeah. And you could do it at close to zero cost. Um, and it would be a unique experience for every single prospect that asks about that unit or another unit. It's like, uh, just mind boggling. <laughs> no, dude, it's like, and, and and like, if anybody listening, you know, thinks we sound a little crazy, again, like literally just go Google ChatGPT and start having a conversation with the computer, like it'll blow your mind. And um, it's kind of like beta v0.1 sort of thing. And and it's and the technology is moving fast. Oh, um, my word. Well, I, listen, any, anything else you would end cap a GPT conversation with? I, I appreciate you just venturing down that road with me because it's, it's a selfish interest that I have right now. No, I, you know, I would just say like, you know, for anybody who is um, listening to this, who's operating any business, I mean, I, I think it's probably mostly multifamily folks. I would say it's important to keep in mind that um, artificial intelligence is going to change the way that every business is run over the next five to 10 years, the same way the internet changed how every business is run over the last 15 to 20. So it is worth your time um, as a you know, leader in any organization to play around with it, read about it, learn more about it, because it's here and it's not going away. I, I could not agree more. I I believe that. And it's, I mean, anybody and everybody in all systems, processes, disciplines, routines, they're all subject to to interruption or whatever you would call that. Yeah. <laughs> Disruption. Dis disruption, I think, is the term normally used. Um, but, you know, it's, um, it, it, it's, it's not going to be this big thing that, like, puts a ton of people out of work. It's going to be something that augments human work so that, People like don't have to do the busy work and, you know, can get, you know, 70 or 80 or 90 percent of the way there um, with the model. And it'll make people who are really good, like just that much better. 
Yeah, I, I've heard it described as your everyone will have their own AI co-pilot. And to your point, right? Mm-hmm. It'll it'll just make you it'll free you up to do other things of high value that maybe at least at this point only humans can do, right? But yeah. maybe that's going away soon too. <laughs> anyway, hey, listen, I this has been a fantastic conversation. I uh, I appreciate you investing the time with with multifamily collective and collective conversations in, in doing this with us. Uh, I want to give you one last chance here to sort of promote uh, two dots, tell people where they can find you. We'll certainly do our, our uh, effort to, to promote the, the business uh, out there in the multifamily space. So I, I, I really appreciate it, Mike. It was great chatting with you. And if anyone is interested in what we're doing, has any sort of problems with leasing fraud wants to get on the train of starting to automate a lot of the busy work the way that site staff are doing. Um, you can look up my name on LinkedIn, Henson Orser, I'll respond. Um, you can Google two dots, Henson Orser, two dots, income verification or two dots, fraud detection. We're going to come up on, on Google. You can reach out to me, Henson at two dots.net. Um, I'm not that hard to find. So, you know, plug, plug Henson Orser into your favorite social media network or, uh, you know, search bar and, uh, I'd be happy to walk you through what's going on. Awesome. Well, we'll link all of that information up in our, in our show notes and certainly in on the uh, platforms that we use to promote this, uh, this interview, but, uh, Henson, it's, it's been an absolute pleasure. I appreciate, uh, you as a person and what you're doing in the industry, and I look forward to a round two at some point. I think that would be fun down the road yeah, a little bit. Absolutely. Um, would love to come back on, Mike. It's been a pleasure. All right. Awesome. For everyone else, we'll see you next time on Collective Conversations.